This is Dr. Pedro Ramirez, uh, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure and honor to speak with uh, Dr. David Gershenson, who um, is a uh, professor and former chair of the Department of uh, Gynecologic Oncology at MD Anderson uh, Cancer Center. Welcome, David. Well, thank you, Pedro. It's, uh, it's great to be with you today. Um, the topic that we want to discuss uh, today is the uh, updates on the management of uh, low-grade ovarian tumors. And obviously, this is uh, quite an interesting topic and a lot of things developing uh, lately as it pertains to uh, patients with uh, low-grade ovarian cancer. And um, one of the things that I wanted to just uh, begin our discussion was the, uh, we, the issue that um, the grading and the classification of the grading of ovarian cancer um, there was a, a former uh, three-tier system, and then we went on to the two-tier system of uh, low versus uh, high-grade. Um, can you give us your thoughts with regards to how we're currently evaluating uh, serous carcinoma, whether this two-tier system is, is appropriate with the current classification? Yes, thank you. Well, we think that the uh, going from the FIGO three-tier system to the binary grading system for serous carcinoma, Pedro, has really energized the field and has allowed us to make observations that we never could have made with the three-tier system. You know, in the original study, there was great concordance, very high concordance between the FIGO grade one and low-grade serous carcinoma. Similarly, there was a very high concordance between the grade three FIGO and high-grade serous carcinoma, it was the grade two category where there was an issue. And about a third of those grade twos were thought to be low-grade serous carcinoma in the original study, and about two-thirds were high-grade serous carcinoma. We went on to uh, conduct a, another retrospective study of some GOG data, and it was very clear that the binary grading system was much more prognostic in terms of uh, outcome. And when we looked at the FIGO grading system, we in fact found in one GOG trial that patients who had uh, grade 2 tumors actually had a worse outcome than grade 3. So that just kind of uh, uh, is an example of uh, the fact that we, we are doing now much better by uh, going to the, the binary system. And can you tell us just a, a little bit as a sense of background, a little bit of the, the natural history of low-grade ovarian carcinoma, and can you speak particularly about the overall survival in comparison to uh, patients with high-grade? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, patients who have serous carcinoma account for about 60% of all epithelial ovarian cancers. And of those patients, only about 5 to 10% have low-grade serous carcinoma. So the overwhelming majority are high-grade serous carcinoma. We know from our observa observational studies that patients with low-grade serous carcinoma on average are younger. Uh, the average age is in the mid-40s to mid-50s in most of the published studies, whereas for high-grade serous carcinoma, it's in the early 60s. We also know that... Um, low-grade serous carcinoma appears to be less chemosensitive than high-grade serous carcinoma. And again, this is not an all-or-none phenomenon. Uh, there's, there's been a misconception that low-grade serous carcinoma is completely insensitive 
to cytotoxic chemotherapy, and that is just not true. But the response rate definitely is lower in the neoadjuvant setting and in the salvage setting. And most importantly, the overall survival for women who have low-grade serous carcinoma is substantially uh, better. So it's on the average in the 90 to 100-month range for median overall survival for low-grade serous carcinoma compared to 40 to 60 months for uh, median uh, overall survival for high-grade serous carcinoma. And you mentioned about uh, the chemosensitivity, and obviously it's interesting and brings up the question as it pertains to the, the, the management up front of patients with low-grade ovarian carcinoma. Um, obviously, one of the challenges we face every day is in determining um, which patients are ideal candidates for surgery versus neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Uh, does that change in terms of the patients with low-grade uh, knowing the perhaps lower sensitivity to chemotherapy, uh, should we aim to bring everyone with a diagnosis of uh, advanced uh, low-grade carcinoma to the operating room, provided that um, there are surgical uh, candidates otherwise? Yeah, that would make uh, sense intuitively to think that neoadjuvant treatment for these patients with low-grade serous carcinoma is not very effective. And in our initial study, we found only a 4% response rate in a group of 25 women who underwent neoadjuvant chemotherapy. On the other hand, there are many of these patients that do present with very extensive disease initially. And so it is a conundrum uh, about how to select patients for primary surgery versus neoadjuvant chemotherapy. And I think we're still, we still have a lot to learn in this area. We are going to be uh, conducting a study with neoadjuvant hormonal therapy to replace neoadjuvant chemotherapy with the hope that that will be more effective initially. But I think um, whenever possible, we should lean in the direction of primary cytoreductive surgery because of the relative chemo resistance of this subtype. Well, it's very interesting to uh, to hear. You almost anticipated my next question, um, which was in the, in the setting of upfront uh, treatment, um, is it is it an option to consider non-platinum taxane therapy for patients with low grade? Can you tell us a little bit more about the study that you just mentioned uh, pertaining to the option of hormonal therapy as an option in the upfront setting? Yes, so. You know, we, we conducted a retrospective uh, observational study of our uh, experience with women who underwent primary cytoreductive surgery and then uh, platinum taxane chemotherapy. And we reviewed the women who just received chemotherapy alone versus those who had chemotherapy and then went on to receive maintenance hormonal therapy. Most of the time it was uh, aromatase inhibitor therapy, but sometimes it was tamoxifen. And we compared those two groups, and we found that the, the women who uh, went on to receive the maintenance hormonal therapy had a significantly better progression-free survival, and there was even uh, a sense that maybe a better overall survival. The median uh, progression-free survival was 65 months for the women who received the hormonal maintenance therapy versus 26 months for the women who had chemotherapy alone. Then there was a study from Johns Hopkins in which women uh, underwent primary cytoreductive surgery. There were 27 patients in this retrospective study, 
and they went on to receive uh, hormonal therapy alone with no chemotherapy. And the preliminary results uh, indicate that it looks very favorable. Um, so that has led us to uh, uh, design a prospective randomized study, which is an international phase three study for, for women who undergo primary cytoreductive surgery, and then they will be randomized to either hormonal monotherapy without any chemotherapy or platin-taxane chemotherapy for six cycles followed by hormonal maintenance therapy. And can you expand on the, uh, the actual um, uh, hormones that are going to be used? Are these going to be aromatase inhibitors? Yes. We had to de de decide on a, a standard, and the standard we chose was a letrozole, as the, both in the maintenance arm as well as in the hormonal monotherapy arm. So changing gears a little bit uh, now with regards to the recurrent setting, and obviously, again, another question that comes up with regards to patients with recurrent uh, low-grade serous carcinoma, you previously published a 5% uh, response rate in the recurrent setting, uh, response rates of 2.1% for patients with uh, platinum-resistant disease. So um, clearly, obviously, chemotherapy is not um, ideal in, in this uh, patient population. Um, is there a role for just hormonal therapy, or are we um, developing more uh, targeted strategies for patients in the recurrent setting? Yeah, there are really three lines of uh, research in this area, I think, right now that are the major lines of research. So hormonal therapy continues to be uh, of great interest uh, in patients who have recurrent uh, low-grade serous carcinoma. Uh, another area is targeted agents. So we know that low-grade serous carcinoma has up to about 40% of uh, tumors have a KRAS mutation or an NRAS mutation. About 5% of these tumors will have a BRAF mutation. So the MEK inhibitors have been studied initially in a phase two trial of 52 patients. And now there have been two phase three studies that have been completed, although the results are pending, Uh, using mech, uh, different MEK inhibitors um, for recurrent uh, disease. And the third area of research so far just based on observational studies is with bevacizumab, anti-angiogenics. And bevacizumab has been shown to have a very a relatively high response rate in the 40 to 50% percent Uh, range in recurrent low-grade serous carcinoma. We need to obviously continue to look for novel therapeutics, knowing that uh, conventional chemotherapy is uh, not that effective in this setting. And you mentioned some of the newer targeted therapy with, uh, with regards to the MEK inhibitors. Um, are these being used in the setting of concurrent uh, chemotherapy and MEK inhibitors or um, solely as a single agent? So thus far, uh, MEK inhibitors have been uh, studied in the salvage setting only. Uh, there has been one study that's also not reported that uh, has combined a PI3 kinase inhibitor with a MEK inhibitor. Um, And we're also now conducting a study that's ongoing with a MEK inhibitor plus a PARP inhibitor based on preclinical research that indicated there was synergism when you combine these two agents in low-grade serous carcinoma cell lines. And uh, you, you, you mentioned uh, the use of uh, PARP inhibitors in, uh, in combination with MEK inhibitors, and uh, I would presume that this is 
solely in the setting of a clinical trial. Is that correct? That's correct at, at present. You know, about only 6% at most of low-grade serous carcinomas are associated with a BRCA mutation. So it's uh, very uncommon. Certainly, if you have a patient who has low-grade serous carcinoma and has a BRCA mutation, either germline or somatic, single-agent PARP uh, therapy may be, uh, may be reasonable. But those, those patients are few and far between. So you mentioned also the use of uh, bevacizumab, and, and just for uh, a sense of uh, clarification, uh, this is a suggestion of use, again, as a single agent or in combination with chemotherapy? The two observational studies that have been completed uh, uh, contain patients both with single agent bevacizumab as well as combining bevacizumab with almost any of the second or third line uh, conventional chemotherapy uh, regimens. And uh, going back a little bit to the role of surgery, I'm sure you're aware of the results of the GOG-213 study evaluating the role of uh, surgery in the recurrent setting. Um, And we had an opportunity to speak with uh, Rob Coleman about that particular study in a separate podcast. Um, But your thoughts with regards to whether we should consider surgery in uh, in the recurrent setting for patients with low-grade ovarian cancer? That's a great question. I think uh, Rob will admit that GOG-213 did not include enough patients with this particular subtype to draw any conclusions about the role of secondary cytoreductive surgery in this subtype. We know overall it did not seem to add anything to chemotherapy. But I think this is an unanswered question. Um, and I we did conduct a... Um, uh, observational study that, like most uh, retrospective studies of secondary cytoreductive surgery, showed an advantage for those patients uh, who had no gross residual following secondary cytoreductive surgery. So I think we don't know the answer at this point, although I think we cannot extrapolate the findings of GOG 213 to this population at this point. So it's an open question. Well, it's been really absolutely a pleasure speaking with you about this very interesting topic. Um, In in your closing summary, um, can you tell us what does the future look for the management of low-grade ovarian cancer? What are we going to see in the next five to ten years? Well, I think we'll see um, more combination targeted agent studies. I mentioned the PARP plus the MEK inhibitor study that's ongoing. I think we'll see more of that. Uh, I think we'll also see studies, because we know that low-grade serous carcinoma is similar to ER-positive breast cancer, that we are planning studies combining an aromatase inhibitor with the CDK4-6 inhibitor, uh, as has been shown in breast cancer, to be uh, more effective than aromatase inhibitor therapy alone. So that's another area of research that we're going to be pursuing over the next couple of years. All right. Well, thank you so much, David. Thank you for, uh, for this opportunity. It's been great to uh, be with you, Pedro.